glorious time we have. Lord, I pray that you would center our hearts and minds on you tonight. Jesus, I pray that you God, just have ears to hear. God, I pray that your word would just come alive and our bones, God, and make us uh, alive. God, I pray that you would um, just carry this uh, love for you and your love in us, God, through. Um, and God, just let us bring peace and joy to God. So in Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Andrew. Am I on? No. No. We got one more person that wants to share something. And then I'll start. Go for it. You're going to have to yell. Yeah. Hey, let's do it. Find his eyes out. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, going out the mouth. So Pete comes running into the lunchroom crying. Now Pete is a tough dude. He's a hard guy. Uh, he was he was a he was a pretty tough guy. And so to see him crying, we knew something was wrong. And he says, uh, Matthew's gone. I said, what do you mean Matthew's gone? He said, Yeah, man, Matthew's gone. He, he just died. Apparently, there were some girls that was going to jump one of our friends. Matthew heard about it, ran upstairs from the basement to the seventh floor. Matthew had a severe heart issue, and he had a heart attack and died uh, on there on the seventh floor. 14 years old. 14 years old. That was really the first time I was faced with this crazy reality of life, which is anyone can die at any time for any reason. Uh, whether And the crazy thing about Matthew was he wasn't like the rest of us. Matthew never got in trouble. Matthew was always a good kid. The gangbangers always left him alone because he was actually trying to go to school to learn. He just never got mixed up into anything. And he's the one that ends up dying because he's trying to save someone uh, from getting from the craziness that we all got into when we were kids. I'll get you one. Okay, so so Matthew died trying to save someone, but it was just this crazy moment where I was like, first of all, I didn't know that dude had a heart issue like that. He never told us he had a heart issue. Some of you probably got some medical issues right now that none of us knows about, like you're keeping to yourself. Um, and so to us, it was like a completely random thing. Here's this guy, he dies. I'm 14 years old, and I was going home from school, and it really hit me the very first time when Yo, you could actually die. Because when you're young and you're a teenager and you're a strong guy, you feel almost invincible. And the trauma of that moment, that was one of the traumas of 9-11, right? Which is everybody's just randomly going to work, regular day, not doing anything to put yourself in harm's way, and then boom, 3,000 people are dead in an instant. Exactly. So here we are. Um, it's the day after Thanksgiving and I'm talking about death and people are going, why are you such a downer? Well, here, here's the reality. The Bible is an extremely realistic book and Christianity is an extremely realistic religion. Here are the facts. The facts are that death does not respect holidays. How many of you know that? Like, death isn't going to say, oh crap, it's Thanksgiving, I need to take a day off. Oh, it's Christmas, I need to take a day off. Oh, you know, the Americans are celebrating New Year's. I'm going to take the day off. Death doesn't take any days off. And so we have to deal with this fact that all of us die. 
And we have to understand a couple things. Here's a couple things, okay? Number one, why do we die? I'm going to try to answer that from the scripture. Because many of us just assume death. Like, we say things like, death is a part of life. Well, here's what I want to do. I want to look at life and death and life after death from a biblical perspective. Because I think we have assumptions about living and dying that are just coming from our mind or maybe the society around us that are not rooted in the scripture. Now look, when I'm up here, I barely graduated high school. I never went to a Bible college. So the only thing I can give you is the Bible. You don't want my silly opinion, okay? My opinion is worth nothing. Most of you sitting here are more educated than me. So my opinion is worth nothing. But the scripture is worth everything. Because we believe that the scripture is the actual word of God, okay? That's what we believe. So here we go, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What about Matthew? What about um, Tristan, Floyd, my mom, and Gary? All these people that we've lost over the years uh, to death. Whether they be old or young, what does the scripture say about it? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now let me set you up the context, okay? Paul started this church in Corinth with his friends. They went to a city and they planted a church, okay? Sound familiar? And Paul gets on a boat and goes somewhere else to plant another church. Okay, that's what he did. And so the churches get planted, and then Paul writes letters to check up on them. How are you guys doing? Hey, you remember we started that church together? That's awesome. Tell me how you guys are doing. What are you guys believing? Are you believing the right things? Are you acting the right way? And then he would get a report back, and the church representative would say, Yeah, things are going great. We believe this. We believe everything he taught us was staying on the straight and narrow. People are getting saved. It's great. And sometimes the church would write back and say, well, we got a couple questions. Or the church would write back and say, well, there are people teaching other things and now people are starting to follow them. One of the things that was being taught in Corinth was that the resurrection wasn't real. And when I say the resurrection, I'm not just talking about Jesus' resurrection. I'm talking about the ultimate resurrection when everybody will rise from the dead bodily. This is Christian doctrine. We believe that on the last day that Jesus will come back, I'll prove this from the scripture, and that everybody here will receive an immortal body, for better or for worse, okay? That's what we believe. That's what Paul taught. But there were some people during that time at this church, after Paul left, that said, no, that's not true. There is going to be no bodily resurrection at the end of the world. The life you have now is the life you have now. Live a nice, good, moral life, and then, and then you're done. And so Paul is writing this passage to deal with those people. And here's the thing, guys. This is one of the reasons that I know the Bible is absolutely true. You know what this tells me? This tells me that far back then, 2,000 years ago, there were people that were saying the resurrection is too good to be true. Like, have you ever been to a funeral? And, I mean, you even hear, heard up here a couple minutes ago. You ever been to a funeral and heard people say, oh, we're going to see uh, so-and-so again? And has it ever, like, entered into your mind where you're like, hmm, like, that's something you're telling yourself to deal with your grief. Like, that's too good to be true. Like, in fairy tales, how do fairy tales end? They all, what, lived happily ever after? Ever after means they live forever, right? You know, okay, that, that is a, that's a, that's a fairy tale, that's not true. The reality is, we live, we have a couple years with each other, maybe a couple decades with each other, and we die and that's it. So there were people in that church saying, you guys are believing in hocus pocus. 
You guys are grown men and women. How in the world are you believing that when your buddy dies, that he's going to rise from the dead and you're going to hang out with him again for the rest of your life? That's insane! Here's what this means. It means that the people that initially heard the message of the gospel were not gullible people. They were not dumb. They were not um, disposed to believing in crazy stuff. These were skeptical, thinking people just like me and you. Okay? Say that again. They also lacked faith like me and you. Right? Because it takes a ton of faith to believe that the people in this room who trust in Christ, even if it's faith as small as a mustard seed, that you will see them again and that you will never be separated from them ever again. That takes faith. And these people did not have it. So now here's Paul and he's writing and he's going to explain, he's going to argue with these people. Because a good teacher sometimes is going to argue with you and say, okay, if you believe that, then what about this? Right, Chloe? Right? A good teacher's going to go back and forth. He's not going to go, oh, I'll well, just believe what I tell you. Okay, now watch this. Verse 15. Sorry, I lied. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? So here's the first thing, Paul. Here's Paul's first argument. Paul's first argument is, hey, guys, we started this church by proclaiming that Jesus rose from the dead. It's the, the central doctrine of Christianity is... We're saying that Jesus rose from the dead. But here you are saying that Jesus never rose from the dead. Look at verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Meaning, you can't say that you believe in Christianity, but that there's no life after death, while at the same time saying you believe Jesus rose from the dead. It's a package deal. If there is no resurrection, that means Jesus never rose from the dead. If Jesus did rise from the dead, that means there is a resurrection, because he preached that too. So Paul is rooting his first argument in the fact that Jesus Christ is actually a historical person who actually died historically, who actually historically had an empty tomb after he died. That's Paul's argument. Paul's, Why did they reopen it? Say again? How did they know it was empty? Because uh, the, the, stone, the angels rolled the stone away and the tomb was completely empty. Right? So in the, front of other people? Yeah, in front of the guards. Did, did, the people or the guards see the angels doing it? Yes. And when they saw the angels, they passed out. When they woke up, the tomb was empty. Now just give me a second. Give me a second. Because we can talk after, remember. Is so, maybe. Okay, let me finish the sentence. I love you. Okay. So here's what happens, right? Kels is right. Jesus is buried. They saw the tomb. They had the, the location of the tomb. There's soldiers there. Angels show up. They pass out. They wake up. Tomb is empty. And they go, how in the world are we going to explain this? So the, the religious leaders paid off the soldiers to say that the disciples stole the body. Now this is a ridiculous argument. Here's why it's ridiculous. The, the soldiers who were guarding this tomb were trained, hardened Roman soldiers. They had been fighting wars for a very long time. Who were supposedly the ones that stole Jesus' body from these Roman soldiers? Jews who were fishermen. These were fishermen. All they knew how to do was fish. Okay? They were not trained warriors. As a matter of fact, Peter, um, who had a, about two feet ahead of him, a, a Roman soldier, went to chop the guy's head off, and he was such a bad swordsman, he only hit the guy's ear. Okay? He is not a good shot, not a good soldier. But somehow, these Jewish fishermen, who've been fishing all their life, 
were able to overcome a Roman uh, soldier, a bunch of them, and then steal Jesus' body. It's a ridiculous story. That's a dumb story. Okay? So Paul is saying, look, you know for a fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Man, look, the, the first people who wanted to stop Christianity could have stopped it immediately. All they had to do was produce the dead body of Jesus. That would be the end of Christianity. You'd have never heard of it ever again. Do you know there are a bunch of people during that time that claimed to be the Messiah, claimed to be the chosen one? Do you know what happened? They had people following them. Do you know why you don't know any of these people? Shimon Bar Kokhba, you ever heard of him? <laughs> Except for my son. The reason you've never heard of these people is because even though they were teachers, they were popular, and they had followers, when they died, their movement died with them. When Jesus died, he had 12, maybe 13 people following him. And then after he died, three days later, 40 days later, he had 4,000 people after he died. Why? Because his tomb was empty. They said, wait a second. Moses was awesome. He died. And we mourned for him for 40 days. You know that? When Moses died, they mourned for him 40 days later. And then they stopped mourning and they moved on with their lives. When Jesus died 40 days later, everybody starts celebrating and life was never the same again because when Moses died, he stayed dead. When Jesus died, he rose from the dead. There's no, literally no other way to explain the Christian church other than the resurrection of Jesus. So Paul is saying, wait a second, you can't say that Jesus rose from the dead because these people apparently were not denying that Jesus rose from the dead. You can't say that Jesus rose from the dead and then say that we won't. Christ and his church are so intertwined together that whatever happens to him happens to them. So if you were gonna, if, if Jesus died, you're gonna die with him. And if Jesus rose from the dead, you're gonna rise from the dead with him. Why do you think that we do baptisms? What is the baptism? You talked about this, Angela. Baptism represents a ton of stuff. One of the things it represents, according to Romans 6, is that you died when Jesus died, and that you got raised when Jesus got raised. Paul said, if we are united with him in a death like his, we will also be united with him in a resurrection like his. So if you die with Jesus, you will rise with Jesus. If you live your own life, you will die and you will never live ever again. That's what the scripture says. Talk to me. Same story you said the other weekend when... They all went on the boat or whatever, mm -hmm. and he walked out as a ghost. And if it's really you, then you would let me be with you too. And he goes, come on. And then Peter ran over and he, they were together. Very good. Same Very good. You. So whatever happens to Christ happens to his people. Look at verse 15. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we have testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Paul is saying, here's my second argument. You guys like me. When I planted the church, you let me baptize you. You've been reading this letter for 14 chapters. Hey, guess what? If Jesus Christ never rose from the dead, you shouldn't listen to a word I say because I'm misrepresenting God. Do you realize that when I say Jesus rose from the dead, I'm speaking for God? I am acting as somebody who represents God, and I am telling you that God did X or Y thing. Now, you know, we've had this situation, right, where somebody comes up to me and says, hey, you know, Brian said X and Y thing. 
And I'm like, word? Brian said that? That's crazy. Okay. And then I go off and do whatever Brian supposedly said. Then I go back to Brian and say, yo, B, why did you say that? He's like, I didn't say that. <laughs> Awkward. And I go back to the person. I'm like, Kyle, why just you... No, Kyle didn't. That was Kyle. <laughs> but you understand, like, you're going to have a real problem with the person you're representing if you misrepresent him. So Paul is saying, are you crazy? Don't, don't come and tell me I'm an awesome teacher and you like me and you want me to write you letters. If I'm telling you Jesus rose from the dead <coughs> and he never did it, I'm a liar. You shouldn't listen to anything I have to say. And God's going to crush me underneath his boot when he sees me. If the dead are not raised. Meaning, you cannot believe anything you see in the New Testament because the subtext the undertone of everything you see in the New Testament is about Jesus rising from the dead. Everything Jesus says is pointing to that moment. And everything that we do, by the way, sacramentally, is pointing to that moment. You say, what are you talking about? Oh, we already covered baptism. We already covered baptism. You say, well, what about communion? What about the bread and the wine? You know what Paul said about communion? He says, as often as you drink the cup and eat the bread, you proclaim the Lord's death. What? <laughs> Until he comes. So if I'm proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes, I'm saying that he rose from the dead. Otherwise, he can't come to us. So everything that we do as a church is pointing to the resurrection. <coughs> so Paul says everything we've done is built on a lie. But look at verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Verse 17. And if Christ, now this is so important. Look at this verse, guys. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile or worthless, and you are still in your sins. There's something about Jesus rising from the dead that makes it so that your sins are forgiven. How? Here's how. There were thousands of Jewish men that got crucified. I was listening to a radio show one time, years ago. And it was this nice Jewish lady. She was from New York City. She said, uh, there were thousands of Jews that were crucified by the Romans. Thousands of them. There were thousands of Jews that got slaughtered by the Romans. So why don't I believe in those Jews? Why do I have to believe in your Jew? Why do I have to believe in your Jesus? You know what the guy said? He said, ma'am, there were many good Jews who were crucified under the Roman occupation. There's only one of them that rose from the dead. I can claim anything I want about me. But if I can pull off a resurrection after three days, you probably should listen to me over other people. When Jesus was, Jesus interpreted his death for us. Jesus said, look, when I am dying, I'm giving my flesh for the life of the world. So Jesus already set a context around what he was dying for and why he was dying. The people at the time had no clue what he was doing. And the only way to validate that his death was a special death that was different from the other ones was he had to rise from the dead. Jesus is proclaiming, I am dying for your sins, Dale. Dying for your sins right now. How do you know that he died for your sins? Because he rose from the dead. And all the other ones stayed in the grave. That means whatever he said about his death was true. This is so important. Whatever Jesus said about his death is validated by the fact that he rose from the dead. 
And Paul is saying, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then it doesn't matter, Dale, that he said he died for your sins, because he's dead. How could you know? Right. How could you know? You see, Jesus' resurrection proves that what we've been saying, he, he, he died for our sins, he died for my sins, the bread is his body, the wine is his blood, all of that is real because he rose from the dead. If he didn't rise from the dead, you would have no basis of confidence for saying that he did. As a matter of fact, it would prove that he died for his own sins. Because what would happen is if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that would be God saying, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. I don't know you. I don't know who you are. If Jesus would have stayed in the grave, that's what God would have been saying. And that's the reason why Shimon Bar Kokhba, none of you know who he is except for my son. Because that dude was walking around claiming that he was something that he was not. And when he died, God left him there. Verse 18. Here's Paul's next argument. And this is going to hit close to home for us. Then those of us who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. Because the Christian church would never say initially that so-and-so died. You know that? If you died in the early Christian church, they wouldn't say that you died. They'd say that you fell asleep. Okay? So, see, you see it right there. He says in verse 18, those who have fallen asleep in Christ. I think about that as, a, as an understanding of death. It's to die in the arms, to fall asleep in the arms of Jesus is what death is for Christians. And these guys are facing death constantly. Many of these people died in the arena. Many of these people were marched outside the city and executed by themselves. Paul saying, all those people died, they went to sleep in the arms of Jesus. And the reason the early church used the term sleep instead of death is very simple. If you walk up to my, if you came to my house, you said, where's Andrew? You say, he's asleep. What's the expectation? Eventually he's going to wake up, right? Eventually he's going to wake up. So the early church used sleep as a metaphor for death because they had such a confidence, well, eventually they're going to wake up. This guy went to sleep in the arms of Christ, but eventually he's going to wake up. But look what Paul says. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we have all people to mostly pity. You know, there's this idea that, you know, look, even if Christianity is not real, it helps you live a good life, right, Kyle? I mean, isn't it better? Like, if, if, you, if you can be a Christian and live a good, nice, moral life, then that's cool. Who cares if it's real or not? At least you have a way of engaging life. I mean, the golden rule, love your neighbor. I mean, these are all good things you don't really need a resurrection for. So if the resurrection isn't real, that's okay. Because at the end of your life, you live the good life. What's wrong with that? Paul actually says, if that is true, look at what he says in verse 19. We are of all people to be most pitied. Meaning, we are pitiful. Meaning, Paul does not agree with that. Paul believes that if the resurrection isn't real and we're doing this Christianity stuff, that we've completely wasted our lives. Here's why. In America, you can follow Jesus and follow the golden rule and get on swimmingly with your life. In first century Rome, you could not. 
they would kill you. These guys had uh, hanging gardens, these emperors. They would have hanging gardens at night, right? So you, 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 you go to his house and there'd be a whole garden basically in midair because they'd tie him up with ropes and stuff. And they would, they'd have these lanterns. And it's, it's this beautiful thing like, whoa, like, look at all these lights and they're floating. It's amazing. Do you know how Nero used to light his gardens? He used to roll Christians up in tar and set them on fire. And that's how he lit up his gardens. And do you know that as those Christians were being rolled in the, in the tar, they would be singing. Be singing about Christ. And they'd be singing about the resurrection. Why would they be singing when they know they're about to die this horrible, torturous death? You realize these guys are leaving behind kids, leaving behind wives. <coughs> Faith in what? Jesus. Very good. Faith in a resurrected Jesus. Jesus cost them so much trouble in their life that if the resurrection wasn't real, they would have wasted everything. Can you imagine those guys getting strung up, ready to get set, set on fire in one of Nero's dinner, dinner parties? And somebody, you know, these guys are swinging there in flames and agony, and one of them looks to the other one and says, Hey guys, don't worry, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, but at least we lived a good life. Wrong. Paul is a realist. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then your fate, your, your life is meaningless, everything is a waste. You're following this guy. All the work that you have put in, just a few of us here, the work that you have put in, the time that you've sacrificed to be with other people, all these things that you've done for other people, complete waste, Jesus never rose from the dead. Everything we've ever done here at Cell 53 from day one is rooted in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. If he didn't, everything we've been doing for the last three years is a complete waste. Paul did not say, no, man, if you, if you, hey, Jesus didn't rise from the dead, it's okay, it's a good way to live your life. You know why? Here's the difference. Because every other religion is a devotion to certain principles. This is so important, guys, to understand the difference between Christianity and religion. Religion is a devotion to certain principles. Christianity is a devotion to a person. Very big difference. Religion is devotion to principle. So whether or not the person lives or dies, it doesn't matter. Right? Muhammad died, oh, that's terrible, but you still have the principles you can live on. Moses dies, that's terrible, but you still have the principles. Christianity is the only religion that's literally built on a person. The principle is the person. It's important. Jesus is the principle. I said this a couple weeks ago, that every other religious leader came with a message. Jesus is the message. So, so, so Jesus, the Christianity is not a set of principles that you live by. It's a person. So if that person dies and stays dead, you're done. There's no principle after that. Because the entire religion is rooted in him. You see. Now you see why the people called the early church cultists. Because if it was everybody, anybody but Jesus, it would be a cult. Because there's no external principle outside of Jesus that we're following. Kel says, how do I know you guys? <coughs> Okay. Well, in the first century, people would say, "Well, um, well, it's Jesus. Everything's about Jesus." 
All principles are about Jesus. This is so important. So that's why Paul says, look guys, we're not following a set of principles here. We're following a person. And if that person is dead, stayed dead, after he said he'd rise from the dead, then everything is destroyed. Go back to how you were living before then. But don't follow this stuff if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. Some of you got to make a decision. If he rose from the dead, then you owe him your life. If he didn't, go, go for it. Verse 20. So before, Paul said if. If, 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 right? If Jesus did die this, if Jesus did die that. Look at verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Paul said, I'm not playing any if games with you now. I'm going to tell you guys the truth. He has raised from the dead. Fact. Watch this. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Meaning, this is what these guys are saying. This is what the, these guys are saying. These guys are saying that nobody's going to rise from the dead. Okay? But Jesus was the exception. Paul says, no. Jesus is rising from the dead, and he's the first fruits of other people rising from the dead. You see the difference? These guys are saying no resurrection at all. Jesus is like an asterisk. Okay, he's special. All right? But everybody else, nobody else is going to rise from the dead. Paul's saying you're wrong, wrong, wrong. Jesus is actually the first fruits. So he's the beginning of the resurrection. For, now, now, this is very important because one of the questions we had to answer was why people die. Look at why people die from the Bible. Don't sit there and accept what your society says. Your society tells you death is a part of life and all this nonsense. Listen to what the Bible says. For as by a man. Tracy, are you listening? Yes, sir. Alex, are you listening? I've already read the whole chapter. <laughs> I just got done reading the whole chapter. We're having this debate about in Bible study whose fault Adam and Eve. Okay. Verse 22. For as a in Adam all die. Right? For by verse 21. I'm, not, I'm, I'm going crazy here. For as by a man came death. By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Adam brought death to us. Remember God said, hey man, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. It is the man's fault. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I asked if you were paying attention. <laughs> okay. Now listen, now listen to this. Look at verse 21 though, Tracy, listen very closely. For by a man came death, by a man also has come the resurrection. Okay? So, so Jesus is, is, uh, is redeeming not only humanity, but manhood. And we can point to Adam and go, that guy messed everything up. But we can point to the man Jesus and say, okay, he saved everyone. So it is what it is. There you go, Thank Alex. You. Now you can, there you go. Thank you. Okay, now look. The reason we die is because our first father ate of that tree. And now watch what happened. I have brown eyes and so do all my kids. That's called genetics. You, you know this, genetics. I got, I got black hair. My kids have black hair. That's genetics. Okay. Just like you have, <laughs> yeah. Just like you have physical DNA, you also have spiritual DNA. Adam's spiritual DNA changed when he ate that fruit. And then once he started having children, they all inherited his crazy spiritual DNA, which included sin and death. You know, some of us have uh, sickle cell. I don't have sickle cell. But if you have sickle cell, you pass those traits on to your kids, the likelihood of them contracting it is much higher than if you didn't have sickle cell. Okay? Adam has 
spiritual sickle cell. In other words, he has a propensity now to sin that he passed on to all of his children. And because of sin, which, which is all of us, very good. And because of sin, God's standard hasn't changed. The wages for sin is what? Death. Death. You know why all of us die? Because all of us are born sinners, and all of us now have contracted the death penalty. This is the reason everybody dies, by the way. Don't, don't, don't think that death is just some natural process in life. Death is actually an intruder. Later on, Paul's going to call death an enemy. But death has the right to take every single one of us because of our sin. So I don't, know, I don't ever want us, you know, unfortunately, Gary's not the last person we're going to lose. Okay? I'm being 1,000% real with you. But I don't ever want us to get used to people dying. You should never get used to it. Okay? Now, many of us, you lose people over and over again, and you start, you get tempted to start like having this spiritual hardness of heart. Don't do that. If you lose people, let it hurt and let God heal you. Don't you try to heal yourself by not feeling the pain of the loss. People are going to die, and death is an intruder, but we die because of sin. And the solution, then, is the holiness of Jesus. Watch, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So Paul is saying death isn't natural. It occurred because of sin. But what would happen if Jesus could start a new humanity that had his genetics? What would happen? We would all be made alive. This is what it means to convert to Christianity. It means that your, your spiritual DNA has been transformed from the Adam DNA, which is corrupted, which is going to lead you into sin and inevitable death, to Jesus' spiritual DNA, which is perfect. You know Jesus never sinned once in his life. Unbelievable. That to me is a greater miracle than the resurrection. Never had a bad thought. Never, had, never did anything wrong. Never punched anybody after... Uh, okay, if Jesus never sinned. This is a miracle. He never had. He never sinned, and so he actually can pass on some of that DNA even now in the old world, which we're still in, because there's a new world coming. We're in the old world right now. But even in the old world, we can get some of that spiritual DNA passed on. That's why sometimes I'll talk to you, some of you new people. You're like, I don't know what's going on with me, but I, I, I don't want to smoke anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do that. You know what's happening is Jesus' DNA is starting to just like delete those cells in your spirit that are desiring all of this stuff. And you don't even know what's going on because it's happening inside of you. This is, this is a proof that you're going to be raised from the dead. Each in its own order. Christ the first fruits. Then it is coming those who belong to Christ. So here's, here's what's happening in the world. Here's what's happening in the world. In the world, you have people who belong to Adam, meaning the old way, meaning they have not repented and, and come to faith in Christ. And in this world, you also have other people who, as Riley said, went from bad to good. Riley preached my whole sermon. I didn't even know it. He went from bad to good because of Jesus. And Paul is saying that if you have Jesus' spiritual DNA in you now, the outgrowth of it is you're going to rise from the dead, perfect, never to sin again. Think about that. Think about that. Think about never having even a thought or a physical inclination for any chemical, 
or any person or any bad word, thought, or deed. You won't even have the desire for it when the resurrection happens. You know, sometimes I look around like, man, you're always... Went off. That's okay. Battery's dead. Battery's dead. <laughs> but think about this. Because we talk about the resurrection a lot here, so there's so many different angles. But you think to yourself, like, okay, the best thing about the resurrection is that I'm going to have all the people that I love and we're all going to be together. Well, here's a sad fact of human beings, okay? Even with the people you love, you can't get along with them half the time. Because of sin. The best thing about the resurrection is not that all your close friends are going to be with you forever, even though that's good. One of the best things about the resurrection is that you will never sin again, and they will never sin again, which means the breaking of the relationships that happen in this world do not happen in the resurrection age. Like, can you imagine Jesus getting in a fight with Peter and saying, I'm never going to talk to you again, Peter? Can you imagine that? No. It is sin that destroys our relationships. And so at the resurrection, that is never going to happen again. So we're never going to sin against God again. Can you imagine that? Especially when you're new. You're trying so hard. You make a pledge to God. Especially you get baptized. Some of you get baptized. You're like, I'm never going to sin again. You have really good intentions because you're so happy about what God has done for you. And then 14 minutes later, you're in the middle of some junk and you're like, ah, oh, God must be really bad at me because I got, just got baptized and it just uh, completely made a mockery of everything. Welcome to Christianity. But there is a day coming when you will never be in that situation ever again. Can you imagine? Like sometimes in our, in our, in our worship songs, right? Like, there's going to come a day when the stuff that we sing in our worship songs will actually be true. Like, we sing songs and we say things like, uh, all, I, all, all I want is you. That's not true. You don't only want Jesus. You want to only want Jesus. Right? And if the song was accurate, we'd say, I want to only want you. But in the next world, in the next world, if you sing that song, it will be 1,000% true. You, none of you wants to, to sin ever again. You don't want to sin against God. The problem is, you do have a want within you that's remaining that sins against God. You don't want to want to sin against God. At the resurrection, that's going to be gone. Because at the resurrection, your DNA, your spiritual DNA will be completely subsumed by Christ. That's why Paul says, death is swallowed up in victory. In verse 54. Death is swallowed up in victory. Because Adam's cells are death. Jesus' cells are victory. And days coming when Jesus' cells are going to overtake the last, the last sinful cell in your body or spirit or whatever it is, wherever those things are, is going to get completely taken over by Christ. And everyone you love, same thing. And you guys will never sin against each other again. You'll never sin against God again. And then you'll actually begin to truly live. 
Because right now, as a Christian, we are not experiencing life to the fullest of what it's supposed to be because we still have sin to deal with. And if you're not a Christian, if you haven't turned your life over to Jesus, if you haven't been baptized, the scripture says that you're dead in sin. Working on. Jesus. Well, the scripture also says that we're saved by grace through faith, not of works. It's the gift of God. Okay, so here, here's what I here's what I'd leave us with, okay? In Jesus Christ lived the perfect life. It's just a same old gospel message. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life. He died on behalf of those who would believe on him. And he rose from the dead on the third day. And he's marching through this planet, taking people every single day. Amen. And death is mar marching through this planet, taking every single day. And these two are at war with one another. Did you know that? The scripture says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So Jesus is marching through this planet taking people, and death is marching through this planet taking people. Jesus is marching through this city taking people, and death is marching through this city taking people. Choose a side. There's no third side. It's death or Jesus. That's it. Those are your options. Sleep well tonight. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the gospel. Thank you for Gary's life, God. Thank you for Kells and Chris and Alex and Dale. God, thank you so much for my brother. God, I pray that everyone would take these words to heart, God, that we would believe the gospel, that we would believe in the resurrection, God, and that we would go forth and tell other people the truth of these words. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Cell 53, proclaiming the kingdom of God for the sake of the city. For more resources, visit cell53.com.